0: This episode of Upstream Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Hello, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us here today on this latest episode of the IHS Market Upstream and Perspective podcast series. My name is David Boucher, I'm your host for the show, and I'm coming to you from the IHS Market podcast studios here in Houston, Texas, otherwise known as my kitchen table. Now, that is my attempt at humor for the show. But I think it's also reflective of the new reality that we're all in. And I hope that in that new reality, you're all able to stay healthy, well, and productive, regardless of what your work arrangements may be. Enough about me, though. Let's get right to the show, because we've got a great one lined up for you today. Now, before I jump into uh, what the topic of today's show is going to be, I want to play a little bit of word association. So what's the first thing you think of when I say uh, bell-bottoms, right? It might be Saturday Night Fever, disco balls, the 70s. What if I said the 1950s, on the other hand? Well, you might start to think uh, Dine and Drivers, you know, pink Cadillacs. And I know know this is very U.S.-centric, but I want to make the point that certain things mark cultural periods in time. And even though technology was highly ingrained in society before COVID, uh, my view is that in 30 or 40 years' time, if you say Zoom to someone, anyone that's been alive during COVID will remember exactly what it was. Uh, that they were feeling and seeing at the time. So technology plays a huge part in society, and it plays, of course, a huge part in uh, upstream oil and gas. And so that long lead-in was to get us to the topic of today's episode, which will be technologies in in upstream oil and gas as they relate to the energy transition. So I've got two guests with me today. I've got the Executive Director of uh, Upstream Technology and Oil and Gas, Judd Jacobs.
1: Thanks, David. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming. And then I've also got uh, our colleague, Carolyn Zito, who's the director in that same group.
2: Thanks, David. Um, glad to be here, too, to contribute.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to have you both. And I think just jumping right into it, uh, maybe, Judd, if you could just give us very quickly kind of what uh, your view and what IHS Markets' view is on what the definition of the energy transition is, especially as it relates to the operator's point of view.
1: Yeah, thanks, David. And and I'll kind of just jump in and what, what it means to you know our group, but also I think IHS market more broadly, and especially from the oil and gas perspective. Um, and I, I think that's a, a bit of a different one than maybe kind of more generally. But really, th- there's kind of two interesting um avenues that that we think about with the energy transition and it's really been the focus of a lot of the oil and gas companies one is how do you reduce the ghg or carbon intensity of our products that we produce and then the second is that you know so so it's very you know very operationally specific you know how do you how do you reduce that the intensity But then there's the opportunity side of it as well, is that as the broader society undergoes this energy transition, there'll obviously be business opportunities so as much as other segments of, of uh, industry are, are looking at the, what those opportunities are, the oil and gas sector, as the dominant energy providers of the last century, are are doing the same. And so they, we we definitely see that there are some business opportunities that they are pursuing that that fall outside of their normal uh, oil and gas operations. So that's so for us, energy transition is is pretty practical. It's um it's what are companies doing to evolve as well as to uh, to manage the this uh, energy transition.
0: Great, and and just to be clear on scope. This is something that even though this may happen at different uh, kind of speeds all around the world, this is, this is a global trend, correct? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: it, it's okay. there, there's obviously I mean, I think if you if you read the headlines, there are things that are happening within particular company types within particular regions. But uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, certainly it is a global global and, and definitely not <laughs> unlike your word association, David. This is a, uh, it's a you yeah, know, these, these are very globally applicable. Fair,
0: fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so I, I guess what I want to do now is maybe starting with uh, Carolyn is setting the scene for what's happening been leading up to COVID. So clearly, uh, the the work that you all have been doing has, has gone back years, right? So what are some of the things that uh, maybe were maybe picking up speed in the last decade that you think may have fallen off? What are some things that before COVID were looking like, hey, these are promising, but now things have changed? I mean, what was the the scope of things or the layout of things prior to COVID happening with regards to energy transition?
2: Yeah, so, so I think the energy transition had already um, kind of been in place but it's it's interesting that you know you started off with this word association and when we think of covid we'll think of zoom but i think for the energy industry the energy transition will probably be top of mind a lot of these drivers for the energy transition had already been in place like you know the lower cost of renewable energy that's competing for primary energy supply you have new technologies like digital um and you know new sensors um, to be able to integrate these new sources of energy, but also new ways to identify and quantify greenhouse gas emissions. And also you're having greater climate concerns from stakeholders like the financial sectors, like, you know, governments coming in and Um, really pushing the industry to take a hard look at how they're going to transition their business models to a low carbon future. And I think with the pandemic, you know, all of those pressures and the improvements of technologies to enable you to work more remotely, you know, that and as well as technologies to provide more reliable and resilient power, you know, that's all adding up to Accelerate the energy transition and and companies see this as a a marker to really make a change in how they're operating things and how they're operating their existing operations, but also how they're going to operate in the future. So, um, I guess a couple of things that we're seeing is, you know, companies are really looking at new ways to manage their methane emissions. So traditionally, companies would go out and inspect their equipment uh, for leaks every six months or so. Now with new technologies like satellites and drones and, and, and sensors, they have the ability to be able to have these inspections more frequently. And when you have these inspections more frequently, you also have the potential to be able to identify methane releases earlier um, and remediate them. But there's also the opportunity to maybe be able to quantify how much methane you're actually releasing. And, you know, this is causing the industry to change how they assess methane in their operations traditionally methane was calculated by emissions factors emissions factors that were generated under stable laboratory conditions now they're actually looking at quantifying the actual methane releases under conditions of how the equipment and how the field is operated so that's one way that that companies are are looking at you know managing their greenhouse gases in the in their operations but uh, another way that they're doing it is they're looking at um, optimizing their facilities so they're taking you know process control you know technology and operation to optimize key pieces of equipment that are driving energy use in their operations like compressors and pumps and turbines they're also using predictive maintenance um, and turning that into a way to be able to reduce methane emissions by keeping operations more smooth so you don't get process updates or process upsets where you you need to flare or right. you need right. to shut down equipment
0: So, so it so. it sounds like they, they might have been they're sort of taking some of the things that they've been working on the last couple of decades such as automation and and kind of building on top of that the capability to work within the, the energy transition does does that sound does that sound right Judd?
1: Yeah, I mean, so so I think there's a set of technologies that have been deployed and and, and Carolyn mentioned quite a few around digitalization and automation and optimization and the things that companies have been directing maybe more towards their core business in the past, being able to recover more oil and gas do it more efficiently, and also accelerate production as well. These same concepts and these same technologies, and in a broader set as well, I mean, I I don't want to just focus on digitalization, but some of the heavy equipment that's going in as well, these same set of technologies can be equally deployed to reducing the carbon intensity of operations. And so companies, as the focus has shifted, companies are doing just that. But one of the things, and, and Carolyn and I, um, we had a chat this morning. But one of the things that we, you know, kind of re- re- remembered, you know, is a lot of the conversations that we're having with our, with our member companies and with uh, with our clients is that a lot of the things, and especially reducing the greenhouse gas intensity of operations, a lot of them are focused on efficiency and cost management. And when, when we have conversations and we ask folks, you know, what, what's the, you know, carbon reduction or what's the greenhouse gas emissions reduction, they look at us like we have two heads and it's stupid. It's it's, it's the, uh, we're, we're sure, reducing sure. cost. And so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, so these same technologies are being deployed for, uh, for a different purpose, but equally effectively as well.
0: So, well, that's, that's actually a great segue into a question I, I thought I was going to save until the end. But uh, I guess we can ask it now. And that's, you know, I've clearly without naming any names here, but just speaking generally, how much of this really is motivated by companies desire to say, yeah, lower the carbon intensity, intensity of their operations or lower emissions versus strictly like, yeah, really we're in this for costs. And, you know, if we can get some good marketing out of it, then then we'll run with that. I mean, really, what's the main motivation here for employing some of these technologies?
1: Carol, do you want to jump in, and I'll uh, I'll
0: follow up.
2: Okay, sure. <laughs> so yeah, cost is definitely a, a motivation for you know deploying these technologies, but companies are starting to roll in you know that environmental factor in how they're optimizing and how they're operating their assets on a more holistic basis. So not just cost, but also looking at Bringing in the safety aspect, and also looking at bringing in the environmental aspect. So you have something like, like um, you know, another area that companies are looking at, like fuel logistics optimization. Well field logistics optimization you know has a number of benefits on the efficiency of how you're sending your pumpers out to visit the the pads you're saving by by optimizing the routes and and changing you know how operators are visiting the routes instead of on a, a schedule based it's on maybe an exception based pattern and the other you know so you have better optimization better utilization of that resource and the truck or uh, but you're also you know reducing the number of the amount of time that that pumper is out on the road so you're improving safety and you're also reducing the number of vehicle miles that pumper is is driving so you're reducing the emissions associated with the active driving out to the field so you have three factors that you're looking at ultimately optimizing and using it to improve the business in general on a holistic sense instead of just taking things in silos and you know only optimizing the production piece or only optimizing the safety piece but you're actually thinking in a
0: whole unit
1: yeah, great points yeah, and I would say that yeah you know, there's you know in some cases and Carolyn mentioned a couple there there's great alignment between cost and efficiency and the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions or or kind of carbon em- carbon intensity. In others, there there are, you know, cases where the industry is clearly working towards a, you know, call it energy transition, call it, you know, reducing the carbon intensity of their operations. And, and I think probably the be- the best example is in North America, where really the focus on on reducing emissions is associated with on methane. And and that's really the, the focus of a lot of companies. Yep. And yep. for that, it's it's not uh, the economics are not driving it. But it's but it's true. It's it's very clear to us that there is a lot of effort and a lot of focus that's going in, and it's really exciting for us. And so you know, there, there's some the fundamental things around you know shifting from pneumatic to you know other types of control valves and and replace replacing your seals. But there's also a lot of really cool technology that's being developed and deployed as well. So there's a lot of these kind of camera and sensor technologies that are being been deployed in other for other industries that are kind of shifting into oil and gas. We were, we were, Carol and I were having a conversation with one supplier that back in February, March, this individual and this company was very busy because their camera technology can also detect human temperatures. And so it was being deployed in many different places, as, as you might imagine, to detect those who might be infected with COVID. And there's also, you know, we're also beginning to see drone technology. We're beginning to see satellites that are being launched to be able to detect methane. So it's, And all of these kind of technologies that are kind of coming together, it's, it's really, it's, you know, it's an exciting time. And there's a lot of really exciting technologies that are being developed outside of oil and gas that are now finding their way in oil and gas with a specific application. So that that's some of the alignment. But the, you know, so in that one, the other case, and, and this one, I think will you know a good transition for us to kind of I mentioned there are two elements of the energy transition. So one in which, and we actually, i'm going I'll give a little plug because we just put a report out on this. But um, there's the energy efficiency side of it that Carolyn mentioned. But one of the things that's really struck us over the last few years is that oil companies, and this seems very counterintuitive. But oil companies have been increasingly deploying renewable energy to power their oil and gas operations. And yeah, we're seeing, yeah. especially on the wind side and especially on the solar side, is that we we now count, you know, we, we have a database now, we can now count 51 projects through the first half of 2020 where they've done this. And, you know, this is great. You know, so, so this certainly... Um, You know, it's obviously, you know, great to to reduce the energy intensity. But if you look at some of the announcements, um, a lot of companies are also touting the greater reliability of these energy sources versus gas turbines and versus diesel generators. And so that's really, you know, you kind of look at this and say, like, it was very strange to have, you know, a a solar farm like adjacent to an, an oil and gas field. But that's exactly what's happening. And you begin to see this overlap between the renewables, this intersection between the renewables and the oil and gas sector. That's It's really exciting to watch, and it's something that we're, we're keeping track of.
0: No, that's interesting because I know that I've been aware, without obviously having expertise in the area, I've been aware that hydrocarbons are used as backup for the renewables occasionally, like when there's no sun or where there's no wind. So it's interesting to hear it goes the other way as well. Now moving into more of like the uh, the strategic side, I guess. who is When you're being approached by, by clients for these technologies, do you find that— they have an idea of what they're trying to measure or do, and then it's up to you to evaluate the range of technologies to apply? Or do you feel like they tell you, okay, no, we want this technology, and we now want you to study exactly what the cost benefit of that is going to be?
1: I, I think, you know, this This probably goes into the innovation models, and I, and I think this is really different. I think, and Carolyn, this is what Carolyn focuses on, so I'm going to let her I'm going to let her take this one, but I'll, I'm going to redirect it to that way because it's, it's, I, th- I think it's, you know, what innovation models are that are emerging in this space that might be different from what's in the traditional oil and gas. Sure.
2: Yeah, thanks, Judd. So I think, um, you know, oil and gas producers, you know, they, they're very, um, you know, technologically savvy organizations, but, you know, in the area of renewable energy uh, generation and Technologies for the tr- energy transition, so not just renewables, but they're also looking at technologies um, in uh, new mobility models and in carbon management and energy efficiency. And these organizations, like international oil companies, like, you know, your Shells and your BPs, that, you know, they are very well versed in kind of the, the technologies and, and uh, kind of the landscape of the technologies. So the suppliers, who are the other players uh, developing these types of technologies, who are the other players on the commercial side that are offering these technologies. And a tool that, um, you know, is really helping companies understand the landscape are uh, these corporate venture groups. Um, You know, these corporate venture groups were initially started to identify startups and, and engage with startups that were working on technologies that they could apply in their existing operations. But they're now leveraging this, um, you know, th- this capability to develop technologies externally for developing technology, identifying technologies in the um, clean energy and low carbon space, and it's just an extension of looking further outside, further outside the company, further outside the industry for those new technologies. So you have, you know, companies like any. Um, Investing in next generation nuclear, as well as um, you know, Chevron uh, recently made an investment in also a a next generation um, fusion startup. Uh, You have. Companies like Aram- Saudi Aramco's uh, venture unit that is that made an investment in new manufacturing uh, ways for more efficiently manufacturing solar cells. So you have companies that are you know these you know they're they're looking at startups that are investing in new technologies, but. They're also using these corporate venture arms to invest in companies developing new business models for the energy transition. So you know, there's um, you know Equinor's investment in Sunverge, where Sunverge is an integrated solar solution provider. So you're you're just seeing a lot of uh, kind of innovation at this early stage, but. Another way that companies are engaging and kind of broadening their understanding of the new energy space is through partnerships as well. So you have technology development and commercial partnerships that are being formed. Um, you know we recently did an analysis of of uh, you know partnerships by oil and gas companies, and we saw that there's been you know a steady increase in partnership behavior or partnerships being entered, but there's also been a very sharp increase over the over the last year in oil and gas companies entering partnerships with you know new energy companies. So you know you're seeing just in the past year, we've seen probably about 50 new partnerships in really exciting areas like the circular economy and plastics recycling, but also in carbon capture and storage um in these areas that are very well suited to the capabilities of the oil and gas industry but they yep. extend those capabilities into new energy so, so that, things like carbon capture and storage circular economy
0: sure. where
2: you have pro- you know chemical processing
0: yep so it's it's hard to believe we're almost at the end of our our 30 minutes so I have one more question Uh, Please to kind of build off of what you just said, Carolyn, so you mentioned the developers of this technology. Uh, We just want to want to get a sense from you both as to how much you think these new initiatives are going to come from the existing service companies in upstream oil and gas. So we know obviously who the big names are. How much are they contributing to this now? versus how much will they contribute overall? I mean, is there strategy to start at the bottom? Is there strategy to just wait and see and then acquire? I mean, what's your sense on their role in all of this?
1: I'll start off, and I know Carolyn has a lot of views on this as well, but but one of the things, and I think it differs by, by company type, but I think if we've seen anything, there is a strong inclination on the part of the oil field services and equipment sector to transition themselves to uh, low carbon clean tech technologies. And I think you know, it- it's not a surprise why they're doing this. They're seeing, um, in many cases, they're seeing their primary markets getting smaller. And so they're looking to at the same time to understand, okay, well, how can we take some of our capabilities and you know make it take advantage of what what's what's happening? And I think it's you know what's being done, especially let's say offshore wind, you're seeing a lot of the um, traditional engineering companies they they have their they can directly translate their capabilities to the offshore wind environment, whether that's you know the EPC firms, whether that's some of the the heavy lift vessels. That they can do that pretty easily and not surprisingly the oil companies you know that as they go into these new spaces they want to bring some of their old friends along uh, make them more comfortable and so sure there is yep. there's been a lot of partnerships that are kind of you know going that direction i'll turn to carolyn so that's you know the traditional that's you know some of the the engineering companies the traditional oil field services companies is probably a bit of a different one and carolyn you get you've got a good view on that i know
2: yeah. So the traditional oilfield services companies, they are looking at um, you know transitioning their their business lines as well. So you have you know companies like like um, you know the traditional drilling companies like the Shampersays and the Halliburtons. One area that they see as an opportunity is in the geothermal energy space. You still need to drill wells to tap that subsurface uh, geothermal energy in you kind know, of the the hot dry rock. You also need to have um, you know ways to manage the the fluids that are being injected in the subsurface? So you need the ability to be able to model as well as to um, be able to to um, kind of identify areas. Of the heat resource in the in the subsurface. And so that's one area that we see the traditional oil field services moving in the, you know, in, in supporting this low-carbon future. Uh, but definitely, you know, one of the really exciting spaces, as Jed mentioned, is in this offshore wind and also, you know, <laughs> offshore. Um, Renewable resources don't even don't end at wind, but, you know, they are also looking at um, supporting new offshore um, solar models and solar t- solar development technology. And, you know, a lot of that existing equipment like the heavy lift vessels and the cranes that the EBC companies have for the offshore market that can be also be used for um, constructing um, offshore Renewable resource uh, developments as well, and then you also have, you know, the the supporting capabilities for um, managing offshore resources, like inspection of the the footings of of, of offshore wind farms, or inspection of those cables um, subsea to be able to transmit the power that's generated offshore, you know, back onshore. So it's it's you know th- there there is a lot of technology and a lot of capabilities that exists in the service sector that can be leveraged for the um, energy transition. And so those players are also looking at transitioning their co- their um, offerings and their business models for the yeah. new energy future.
0: I think, though, I think hopefully, and I'm just going to make a comment here, but uh, so for the audience, uh, the audience's benefit, Carolyn is very involved every year in helping uh, select basically um, a suite of startups with regards to energy te- energy te- energy technology for zero week and it always strikes me that the this is a very dynamic space so carolyn would you agree that certainly from the uh the startup side uh there is equal dynamism as there is on the large company side but maybe just obviously on a different scale would that be correct
2: actually i think well you know it you know there there is um, there's a lot of activity, but you know maybe the scale might not be so large. But startups are increasingly being leveraged for partnerships instead of just you know small minority investments. But they're entering into you know true technology development partnerships, and it you know with service companies, with oil and gas companies or oil and gas producers. And I think it just it shows kind of the maturity, not just the dynamic dynamicism, but the maturity of startups to be able to work with these really established companies and help transition them into this new energy space through their technologies
0: yep yep great Uh, well we are already at the end of our show i want to thank uh judd very much and carolyn very much for for joining us uh clearly there's you know hours we could spend uh more talking about this and so on that point Uh, For the audience, if you do have uh, questions or comments you'd like to pose to Judd or Carolyn, uh, we should be able to put some uh, contact information uh, down in the comments section. So please do do feel free to reach out. I just want to recap what we've talked about today. So the energy transition uh, is here. And rather than being the beginning of the end for operating companies, it absolutely presents a a new set of opportunities for them. Uh, There is, in fact, um, there's no mutual exclusivity between cost and and green tech necessarily. One can definitely lead uh, to the other. And on the service provider side as well, uh, this doesn't have to be the beginning of the end. Uh, There's also some opportunities there. to work alongside some of these newer startups are going to hopefully come and uh, and fill some of the competencies, competencies that the, the larger players uh, may be lacking. So with that, I just want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this episode of the IHS Market Upstream and Perspective Podcast. I uh, want to wish you all uh, a safe and a healthy time as we work through this, and we very much look forward to having you join us here on the next episode. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, David. Thanks, David.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com energyblog Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn.
1: This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by
0: IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's I-H-S-M-A-R-K-I-T forward slash energy.